The Arizona Coyotes are going to explore what their other options are in the greater Phoenix area, and uh, we're going to monitor that closely. Our hope is that uh, one of the options that are being explored and considered will come to fruition. We have a world tour of nine and ten figure deals and potential deals. It's Tuesday, June 6th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Let's start with the audio you just heard. That was NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman discussing his desire to keep the Arizona Coyotes in Arizona. Things have not worked out to date for that team. They started in Phoenix, went to Glendale, then almost got locked out of their own arena mid-season in 2021. From there, the city declined to renew their lease, and they ended up playing in Mullet Arena at Arizona State University, which has a capacity for NHL hockey of 4,600 seats. Then they tried to get approval from the voters of Tempe for a privately funded arena and surrounding development. Team president Javier Gutierrez came on this show to talk up the deal, but the voters were not convinced. They soundly rejected that proposal, and now they have a decision to make. Should I stay or should I go? Bettman makes the point that the Phoenix area is large and growing, it already has lots of sports fans, and that the problems that the team has had to date do not speak to fundamental problems with the market. He also pointed out that the NHL is doing fine and essentially implied that they can take a short-term financial hit to establish themselves again in this market. Bringing the NHL to the South has been a major project of Bettman's, and it is a huge win for him that all four teams in the conference finals came from the southern half of the country. The Coyotes have been the exception to that success story. But if it doesn't work out, the league has had talks with Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith, who wants to bring an NHL team to Salt Lake City. Next stop on our world tour, we're going to stay in the western U.S., heading up to Portland, where we have a rather peculiar situation with the Portland Trailblazers and the Seattle Seahawks. Both were owned by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen. He passed away in 2018, and at that time the teams were put into an estate along with his other assets. Allen's instructions were to sell everything in his estate, including the teams, and give the money to charity. Also, NBA bylaws require that teams held by estates be sold. But there is no specific time that we know of that that has to happen. And so far, Paul's sister, Jody Allen, who manages the estate, has not put the teams up for sale. This is despite at least one very high-profile buyer, Nike co-founder Phil Knight, being interested in the Blazers. He is working with LA Dodgers part owner Alan Smolinski, but according to the Wall Street Journal, Jody Allen hasn't taken a call or a meeting with either of them, despite repeated efforts, including a handwritten letter from Smolinski. There's a date to keep an eye on here. Due to a Seattle referendum that was passed after the city issued a bond to help build what is now Lumen Field, where the Seahawks play, if the team is sold before May 21st of next year, 10% of the sale would go to Washington State. Would you wait a year for an extra half a billion dollars? Yeah, you would. Okay, the world tour now takes us across the pond to England, where somehow new offers for Manchester United are still showing up. The latest is that Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who last we heard was the frontrunner to buy the team, has made an offer that would allow all six Glazer siblings to continue to hold a stake in the team, with Ratcliffe buying a majority stake over a year. Glazer family, if you're listening, we'd love it if you just picked a direction. I know it's not an easy decision, but a lot of us at Front Office Sports and around the world would like some closure here. And Man U fans would like that closure before the Premier League transfer window opens on June 14th, but that seems pretty unlikely at the moment. 
But someone who did make a decision was legendary striker Karim Benzema. The 35-year-old is leaving Real Madrid for Saudi Arabia for, and if you have not heard this number, you are not ready for it, three years, $643 million. Saudi Arabia wants the World Cup in 2030. They want to be a force in the global soccer world, and that apparently starts with giving individual soccer legends hundreds of millions per year. We're still waiting to see if Lionel Messi cashes in there too. We finish our world tour heading all the way back to the US to the area just outside Chicago. For a while now, it's been essentially a foregone conclusion that the Bears will move to Arlington Heights, which is a town just to the northwest of Chicago. They bought the Arlington Racetrack from Churchill Downs for $197 million with plans to demolish it and build a $5 billion development with a dome stadium as the centerpiece. But now they're running into disputes around the tax assessment on that parcel, and they've entered into separate talks with Naperville, which is just west of Chicago. This feels to me like a negotiating tactic, because if you're Arlington, why give the team anything if you're going to get them either way? The Bears need to at least appear to have a viable alternative. For today's interview, I spoke to Brian Doxtator, who founded Commonwealth. This is a company that buys horses and allows people to buy stakes in that horse. They've already had a lot of success, including when their horse, Mage, won the Kentucky Derby. Now, we recorded this interview last week before Friday, when Churchill Downs announced that they would suspend all racing operations for a month in light of the 12 horse deaths this racing season, some of which were in the lead up to the Derby. The racing world clearly has a lot to figure out around this. The silver lining for Commonwealth is that they are diversifying into other sports by buying stakes in the future earnings of athletes in sports where that makes economic sense. Here's my conversation with Brian. I'm joined now by Brian Doxtater, founder and CEO of Commonwealth. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks, Owen. Thanks for having me. So you started Commonwealth in 2019, and so far the main thing you do is offer fractional investing in racehorses, including Mage, who won the Kentucky Derby. Uh, what is this and what kind of market opportunity did you see when you started this company? Yeah, I mean, it goes all the way back. I don't know if you've heard of a company called Rally, or at the time, Rally Road. They do it for collectibles and other things, but... Um, I just saw something happening with being able to invest in your passions, accessing something you couldn't access to begin, you know, before this model came along. And I started to think, what else can you apply this to? They were doing it for cars and art and things like that. And what came to me was there should be an experience hook in there or what I call the experiential calendar, a calendar of events that are baked into your investment. And so I quickly came to sports and music as the two that I was most interested in. And for various lifestyle reasons, I chose I chose sports, um, and uh, and the first application of it was horse racing, and it just fits so naturally. I've been a horse racing fan since the early two thousands when I lived in Baltimore and went to some Preaknesses, um, and I was at the uh, Santa Anita racetrack here in LA, and I just started looking around and I thought, wait a second, like what about horses? Like they're expensive, they're complicated, they're hard to get your hands on. And so, you know, and of course they have the experiential calendar, all the race days that are built in and everything that happens in between the race days. So it was really about letting people in on the journey and the action and the kind of the developing story of an athlete. Um, and from there, I mean, of course, if you look at the sports world broadly, it's enormous. There's 260 million sports fans in the United, United States alone. Um, and so as we take this, we built the platform in a way that can be expanded into other sports. We're now expanding into golf. And so as you expand into additional sports, that total addressable market just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. So uh, we got a lot of greenfield opportunities in front of us and we're happy to take 
huge results out of horse racing and take that into other sports and try to replicate it. Yeah. So yeah, we'll get, get to those other opportunities, other sports in a moment. Um, but yeah, so Mage had what something like 400 fractional owners, correct? So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so what did it mean for your company to have your horse win the Kentucky Derby? Oh, geez. I mean, the response was off the charts. I got texts from close to a thousand people, DMs from a couple thousand more. The uh, just the the wave of response alone and the ripple effect that this has had throughout the country. He's now known as the people's horse because we had most people in the history of the Kentucky Derby. We had the most people in the winner's circle ever. Uh, we had something like a hundred of our uh, shareholders, some people that invested as little as $50. Um, so, you know, what we're really doing is we're building this community. And I think the, a community of sports fans, and I think the Derby really showed that off. I mean, I don't know if you watch the broadcasts or not, but Mike Tirico was talking about us a bunch at Preakness. They talked about us a lot. And it was really because we're showing off that we're a lot younger. Our average age is 36. We come from all walks of life, all corners of the country. Um, for as little as $50 a share, you could have gotten in that winner's circle. We have people in the photo that's, that put up 50 bucks for a single share. And the line I keep telling everybody is you could have bet a million dollars on Mage and you're not getting in that winner's circle. But if you put $50 on them with Commonwealth, you have a chance of getting in that winner's circle. So I think it showed the world what we're really doing. A, a lot of my friends that didn't get on board are suddenly going, oh, I, I understand now what you're actually doing here. So a combination of certainly validating what we're doing and the fact that we're getting our hands on world-class horses and then also showing off that community. Like that's really what's near and dear to me. We have 15,000 customers now. We call it Commonwealth Nation. It's as strong as ever and still growing. And we show out to the races. I mean, just on Sunday, uh, excuse me, Monday, we had 80 people at Santa Anita for another race. Young crowd, really fun. We had a great time. Um, and we do this like monthly or more, you know, so, and as the stable grows and our athletes, you know, grow as well, like we're going to have events basically weekly all, all across the country. It's a ton of fun. And so if someone had, so let's say a hundred dollar, uh, you know, two shares of mage, um, what did they get for when mage won the Kentucky Derby? Just on the Derby alone, they would get $200. They would keep their equity, of course. So that's just a pure cash distribution on earnings. But the Derby, in, in horse racing, there's two different types of races. There's stallion-making races, and then there's purse races. And the Derby is more of a stallion-making race than it is a purse race. There's lots of races in the, in the world that have much higher purse than the Kentucky Derby, but probably none that create stallions the way the Kentucky Derby does. So we're actively negotiating some pretty major stallion deals on Mage that would lead to, on the $100, would lead to 1000 1500 maybe more uh, uh, per $100 invested. And keep in mind, they only invested in January. So I mean, we're talking about a well, yeah, not, not a bad return there. Yeah. And um, along the way, we've had three huge parties in Miami, a huge party at the at Churchill Downs for Kentucky Derby, and then a huge party at Preakness, where we came in third. But hey, it's the way it goes. Um, so, you know, the, the, the returns are certainly attractive, especially in a Grand Slam like Mage. But Ultimately, I mean, the people that have been there from the very beginning, you know, I mean, they've been to four or five different weekend parties and we've just had a blast along the way. And, and you know, when you lose the Preakness, that immediate aftermath, you're disappointed. And then everybody came back to earth and was like, wait a second, this is what it's all about. Being here with all of our friends and all these people that we've made new friends. You know, a lot of people have made friends just through this process. So, um, 
it's pretty exciting. And that's really what you take away from it all. You know, the money is there and that's great, but you take away the memories and the experiences. Yeah. And so you're now moving, um, you're obviously not moving from, but you've got horses, you're moving to golfers as well, to the realm of human beings. So how is that going to work? Yeah. So this is effectively, we're funding a predetermined number of seasons in exchange for another predetermined number of income share seasons. So in the case of our first two players, we're funding 75K per season times three seasons. So $225,000. That's like full carrying costs for basically everything they need to do. They're, they're both full status on PGA Tour Canada, so they have full playing, uh, playing calendars. And so uh, in exchange for that $225,000, we get a six-year income share agreement, 30% for the first three years, and then 2015-10 in that like kind of out-year residual period. And so uh, we have everything in there, travel, lodging, caddies, coaching, physio, health insurance. I mean, we're trying to think of this as holistically as possible and really remove what oftentimes is the biggest stressor on these athletes, you know, especially individual sport athletes, you know, just making ends meet, you know, all this travel, it adds up. I mean, three or $4,000 a tournament just to even play. And if they miss the cut, they don't make any money. And oftentimes, even if they make money, it isn't a ton. And so... You know, we're trying to extend their runway, give them as many chances, as much time as possible to do it the right way, get their careers off the ground and hopefully make it to the next levels. Yeah, there's certain sports. I mean, maybe you could say this about every sport, but I think certain ones might pop out a little bit more where there's this sort of um, this period where you might reach the next level. But to get there, you might have to spend a couple years, you know, being the 200th best player or the the 100th best player in golf, tennis, like probably doesn't make a ton of money most of the time. Um, And so, yeah, having this, it's sort of like a a bridge loan to, you know, maybe get you off to the races, to use a horse racing metaphor, um, could could work out as long as there's someone who believes in themselves. But yeah, could maybe but is stressed about funds and you know that's not going to be everyone but uh but you know you don't need it to be everyone so yeah are there other sports as well where you see um see that kind of opportunity yeah you mentioned tennis that's probably our third sport and the way we've built the platform time to new sports is decreasing because it's so flexible so we'll probably be in tennis maybe the end of the year but certainly next year uh, and then from there i think you can just lay out all the individual sports poker jumps off the page um uh, boxing, MMA jumps off the page, th- things like that. And then I think there's actually a play for it in the major sports as well. There have been some big athletes that have tried to do this just themselves. Spencer Dinwiddie comes to mind. Um, but I think if you wait until they're in the NBA, uh, you've kind of missed the moment that it makes the most sense and, and creates the most opportunity. So we're exploring things like NIL deals with an option at funding. You know, So if you're a football player, and you're not sure if you're going to be a fifth round, third round, first round, you know, in your junior year, we can do a marketing NIL deal, just your traditional brand ambassador deal, and then have a funding deal sitting at the end. And depending on how your draft goes, maybe you want to draw that down and then our investors can invest in it. So we're kind of getting creative uh, in the team sports. But uh, the idea is to get them at that moment where, you know, Commonwealth can help them take, take them professional. You know, if they're already professional on multi-million dollar contracts, the need isn't really there. And then also there's really not as much of a story. Like if you're already at the top of the game, like you're kind of investing very late, so to speak. 
Right, right. Yeah, and poker's an interesting one. I know it's very common for poker players to have shares in each other because, you know, sometimes the cards just don't show up for you and they, they do show up for your buddy. So maybe you have 10% of him. Um, what is there like a, an overall vision here beyond, you know, just, you know, finding these assets that so far are, are illiquid because they are human beings and their lives and their contracts um, and making them more liquid, making them something that people can invest in? Is that is that the end goal or is there even more to it? No, there's more to it. I think actually the financial platform and selling of shares is what people first center the, the company around. And it's certainly our means to the, the, the end of building a community. And so it's very important. But really, we're talking about building a national and global network of sports fans uh, and, and people that want to. I call them the big day out crowd, people that want to go to events, want to support their athletes want to show up, we've talked about motorsports, want to show up to Miami Formula One or Las Vegas Formula One. And so, you know, once you have the community built and you've got hundreds of thousands or millions of people in your community, now you start to have a whole bunch of things that are kind of ancillary to the financial platform. Things like, of course, merchandise, event ticketing and hospitality. And then I think there's a big media business, big content and media business, not dissimilar from what we're doing here having our athletes on, having people that are sponsoring our athletes on, talking about the stories and the all the things that come out of all the action that happens. I mean, look, we've done almost 20 horses and we're about to do, we're opening up our golfers this week or next. We're about to do two golfers. As I mentioned, every single week we've got action going on. We have horses racing, golfers playing in tournaments. So you can imagine if you 5X and 10X the size of our roster, there's just going to be nonstop action happening. And so creating a narrative around all the goings on, um, I think will be fairly natural and then creating interesting storylines within all of that, I think will be pretty compelling. And so, you know, we think of the fees we get on the shares and stuff like that as kind of like keeping the lights on and then we get a share of the back end. So we get a share of the earnings Commonwealth does. And then all of our community, we call it productizing our community. And so, when we productize our community and the back end is kind of our upside. So um, as we scale the company, the upfronts go go up our sourcing fees. And so that kind of is our operating budget. And then hopefully the, the roster of athletes performs and everybody's happy and we're having fun. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Brian Dockstader, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Hit us up with your NHL and NBA finals predictions. Are we going to get double Florida, single Florida or no Florida? Let us know at today at frontofficesports.com. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.